Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by APT Capital Group, where Kyle and Lalita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family using real estate as your vehicle. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Before we get started, please make sure to head over to our website, aptcapitalgroup.com, and grab our free Passive Investor's Guide. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do, you can schedule a call with Kyle on our website as well. All right, time to get into our show. Today, we have Zach Feldman here with us. Hi, Zach. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, before we get into today's interview, here's a little bit about Zach. Zach is the VP of Development at Aptitude Development, which is one of the nation's top student housing firms. Aptitude currently owns 1,500 beds with another quarter million dollars of student housing under construction or set to break ground. Prior to Aptitude, Zach launched Enjoy 77 Holdings, which is a real estate investment company specializing in student housing and multifamily investment in the Northeast and is still active today. So from your bio, Zach, I know you have a passion for student housing, really all the ins and outs that's involved in it. So you know we're definitely going to ask how all that's faring through COVID-19. So before we even get into that, let's start with the basics. And could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Sure. So I actually started uh, buying real estate about a year after graduating from college. You know, I, I read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad and was really into the idea of having you know, passive income and having your money work for you. And I had a traditional desk job. And you know, throughout college, I really thought I wanted to be a renewable energy trader. You know, about a year after graduating college, I, I finally made my way onto a, a renewable energy trading desk. And uh, you know, this huge epiphany happened where, wow, this isn't at all what I thought I wanted to do. And you know, I still was continuing to read and network and learn more about the real estate industry and, and become as educated and knowledgeable about the space as I could. And within a year of graduating, I ended up buying my first four family with a friend from high school that was near where I was working at the time. And, you know, I kind of caught the bug from there. This was way more fun and way more enjoyable and something I was, you know, off the bat, much more passionate about kind of spending my nights and weekends doing this while still having this full-time career. So from there, I thought if I want to buy more, what do I know? I didn't know anything, but I just graduated from college and I, and I thought I, I understand the student housing space a little bit. And I actually ended up using some of the uh, tips and tricks from Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. I outsourced to Brickwork India to do a lot of these market studies and things of that that nature. And I I took the median home price of every college zip code in the country, and then I got the one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, and four bedroom rent to come over my rent per bed in those specific zip codes. And I figured out the highest yields in the country, and that's kind of where I, I started buying and picking my pockets to buy student housing because I didn't have any money. I had, you know, very little money from what I was making uh, and, you know, wanted to get the highest return uh, on my capital at the time. So that was kind of my first foray into student housing. I was buying right off the bat. And then six years later, I continued to buy on my own while I had had held more corporate jobs. And I was able to parlay that into the role I currently have at Aptitude Development, where we build all ground up student housing throughout the country. Uh, We have projects in Syracuse, Louisville, Coastal Carolina, Arkansas, and we have about a quarter billion dollars in development, uh, either in the planning or underway process. 
Awesome. Congrats on your success. So obviously, we're going to talk about student housing today. Let's talk about the landscape of student housing pre-COVID and kind of where it was heading. Yeah. From a macro standpoint, it was all heading in the right direction. I think if you look at the industry as a whole, you do have a, a large you know, millennial class that just came through, but you also have what people don't realize is a lot more people are graduating high school. I think it's about 15% more people graduate high school than in the early 2000s in today's world. Uh, and what that means is you actually have more eligible residents of the United States or, or even internationally that come and go attend these institutions that, that we partake in. So as a whole, the industry was you know, pushing forward. Obviously, COVID has been in a, an adjustment on how you operate the properties. Um, but we actually see COVID as a huge tailwind for the student housing industry. And we think it were really just in its infancy still. Okay. Can you expand on that as far as why you think it's a, a tailwind? <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, I think one of the things that people need to understand about student housing, and, and I'm happy to go into as much detail and ask me as many questions as you want, is that most schools have maybe a freshman live-on requirement max. Some have sophomore, and if you have a four-year live-on requirement, there's you know a few schools in the country that have that. Obviously, as a private student housing developer, you're not going to target that market. But the you know, schools that have the freshman live-on requirement and then kids move off campus, they move into buildings like ours. And, and the thing you have to think about is some of these schools have built more on-campus housing or maybe they have increased their live-on requirement. You have to think of the product and the service that they deliver for the cost of room and board. They have cinder block walls where you have at least two people, if not four people in one room. And you also have your classic 20-person freshman bathrooms. And as we've seen COVID make everyone really attentive to the fact that you need to have proper spacing and cleanliness and certain standards of care, those probably are not the best designed buildings for the future. And the reality is they were probably in place for far too long. So you're seeing a lot of these campuses de-densify their on-campus housing. And a lot of that is being pushed to the private sector or, and they're rethinking on a long-term scale, how do they provide housing that makes sense where those buildings probably should have been updated and or torn down, you know, in the 80s. So we think you're going to see this actually act as a catalyst for the way that on-campus housing and student housing as a whole is designed as well as, you know, implemented across the country. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Are, are you concerned at all about schooling going, shifting onto the online scene a little bit more than it is now and, and favoring that versus, you know, in person? Again, I think that's also, there's a lot of headline grab that you're seeing now, but you had major institutions that had the three, 400 person freshman, you know, econ 100 classes. Those are all available online and on YouTube. If you didn't want to go to that class, you didn't have to go to that class. You could still get the lesson plan. The virtual portion of learning was there before. What I don't think will ever be replaced, and I think people discount, is the college experience. You know, at 18, some kids have never done laundry before. I remember one of my best friends from New Jersey when I was at school had never pumped gas before because he didn't have to because he grew up in New Jersey. And those are transformative years which help you develop who you are as a person. I don't think that's going to change in terms of that human experience by going ahead and making that four years of your life in your parents' basement, but getting an education online. Do I think it's you know, maybe more acceptable? Yes. Do I think potentially hybrid models become more commonplace? Potentially, but I don't think you're going to have a four-year education on a college campus ever go away. And you saw that you know, in March and April, which was the absolute scariest part of the pandemic, you still had 40% occupancy across the student housing industry as a whole. 
because kids didn't want to go home or parents didn't want their kids home. You know, they, they want their independence. I mean, you see a lot of parents start to say, hey, I have my life back a little bit. This is the next chapter of our marriage, whatever it may be. I don't think you're going to see kids start, you know, taking four years worth of education in their parents' basement from now on. Yeah. So obviously, maybe this catapults it in the future. But currently, you know, student housing is certainly one of those sectors that you're keeping an eye on that could be struggling over the next six to 12 months. What are some things that operators can do to protect their downside currently? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the one thing is being prepared and having a plan. You know, if you take it, you know, on a day by day, obviously, everything in today's world is day by day. No one knows if a vaccine's going to come out tomorrow or, or a year from now. But Understanding the risks, one, two, having a backup plan. You know, we've had to readjust our building operations across the portfolio, you know, for aptitude as well as even the little, you know, two and three families that I bought when I was 23 that have kids live in them. And, and even some of those are our market rate, you know, making sure that, you know, you're having your, your super handyman go an extra couple of days and, and clean the building, you know, at our aptitude buildings that are they're there every day, multiple times a day, cleaning and making sure that hygiene is of the utmost important. Those are things we just didn't think about a year ago was how often would you have to get Lysol wipes, making sure that, you know, these things can come into the building and, and protect the students. Are you doing anything else as far as to be competitive in the marketplace? You know, there are certain markets where student housing can get quite saturated and, and proximity to the school is going to be very important. Have you upped your marketing or done anything other than that that's been creative? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from day one, we've always been an urban core type firm where you have to be what we call roll out of bed location. And that's truly from the college days of, you know, if you go out on Thursday night and have a good time and at 8 a.m., can you roll out of bed and still make your class? And we've always focused on that. You know, we kind of try not to be a more than 10 minute walk from campus. Uh, and if we are, we really take a hard look if this site makes sense. So we try to be, you know, insulate ourselves from future development where we're always going to have a, a main and main type location. And there's some people that do a cottage product where, you know, maybe they're two, three miles from campus, but they have a lazy river and, and things of that nature. And that's, that's really never been our uh, philosophy. It's, you know, I think location, location, location is the name of the game and in student housing, that's more important now than ever. Yep. Uh, what are some of your other criteria when you're buying? Yeah. So, I, you know, I think when, when you look at student housing, you look at a lot of similar metrics to multifamily. So, you know, population growth, median wage, you know, but then there's a lot of things that, that you don't look at, such as enrollment growth is a huge one. If a school is dying, if they've lost, you know, 5% of kids per year over the last five years, it's not a place you want to be. If it is a place that has grown three, four, five percent every single year over the last five, ten years, it's heading in the right direction. You're seeing a lot of state schools that you know aren't your, uh, you know, your main campus grow really well and really successfully. So you know, you look at the whole state school system. How is their endowment going? How do they have good people on the board? Is the school being managed correctly? Occupancy rates are very important, uh, and then as well as looking at historic. If you want to call it, you know, saturation, how is it handled that? You know, if a school's 60,000 kids, can they handle 2,000 new beds one year versus a school that's 15,000 kids, can they handle 2,000 new beds? And you have to look at how they've performed historically to somewhat predicate the future. So enrollment growth is huge. Occupancy is huge. Rent per bed is huge. Uh, we also take a look at who the other players in the market are. You know, we, you always have to think about when you're underwriting a deal, who your exit is going to be to. Those are some of the main factors we look at, but there's probably a checklist of 100 different data points where if those aren't all with a, with a, above a certain threshold, we won't look at the market. And, and we're extremely market and location driven, and we design our buildings from the ground up. We do not drop a box in every single market. It's interesting where, where student housing might be different from multifamily because when we go visit a campus, we'll do a college tour as if 
you when you're going to look at a campus and we'll learn the whole campus and take the bus around to figure out where kids want to live is just stopping at certain buildings and then we'll go sit in, in the student center and, and ask kids hey would you live here do you want a pool is it more important to have you know a more affordable rent or do you want a lot of one bedrooms in this in this product type here was that lazy river is that ever used because that's a huge investment you know and those kinds of things and we'll literally design a building around conversations with the student body. Okay. That's interesting. So, you know, in multifamily winter, right, one stabilized, depending on the market, you know, anywhere from 88 to 92% economic occupancy. Is that the same when it comes to student housing or is there kind of a different formula for stabilization? It's all market by market. One of the big differences in student housing is that if you miss your lease update, it's yep. a big problem. And whereas in multifamily, maybe you'll have a model unit and, you know, a leasing manager or general manager during kind of the construction phase and sometimes not even in student housing, you know, the day you put your property under contract, you're already looking for a place to put a leasing office. And one of the big differences is we'll go rent a retail space at Maine and Maine or near our building and we'll build a two scale model unit where a kid can come in the front door, there'll be music, good vibe already. And they'll open, you know, kind of get a feel for where the, you know, what the building will look like. You'll have VR goggles so they can walk through the building and then they'll go into the back and open a door and it'll be a full two scale unit. So you'll have the same appliances, the same flooring, the same cabinets, everything will be the exact same as when you move in 12 months from when you view that unit. And you typically start that in August of the year before you open. So people don't have good imaginations. It's hard to visualize what will be there at the end of the day. So we pull out all the stops to make sure that they can 100% feel comfortable with what they're going to be moving into. They have already felt, seen, heard, touched. What happens if you do miss that lease up kind of window? I, I We know a friend that, that did miss that lease up. They ended up being about 40% occupied what can you do at that point? I mean, do you turn it into traditional housing until, you know, that time until next year, or are there other ways to kind of battle that? It depends on your pre-leasing went. you know, for example, in a perfect world, you're hundred percent pre-leased before the kids move back. And then when they move back in August, they all move in, you hand over the keys and it's smooth sailing. You know, if you're pre-leased at 40%, you know, maybe you have some of the rooms ready, but if you're pre-leased at 40%, you have, you know, bigger issues, you know, that's a, that's tough to open a building at 40% occupancy in student housing. I think usually you're one, you're uh, going to be a little less occupied typically. If it's a great location and a great product and you market it properly, you should be highly occupied. One of the methods people use is, you know, taking beds at maybe a multifamily property down the road until, you know, you can get the units up in 30 days or, or hotel rooms for 30 days or, or things of that nature. But pushing the delivery a year is the absolute, you know, fall on your sword type move. And, and it's something that you avoid. And, and if you properly underwrite, uh, manage construction and are realistic about timelines, you should not run into that. Mm -hmm. So why ground up versus buying existing? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that we've always talked about is, you know, I'd rather build and sell at a five cap than buy at a five cap. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there doing a value add component. And I can't speak highly enough about the, you know, the two principles of the shop and founders at Aptitude and the rest of the team. It's, it's one of the smartest, hardest working people I've ever been, you know, had the pleasure of being around. We think there's an expertise in development that everyone does not have. And we can truly create value for our investors and, and provide a higher quality of life for our residents by building ground up development where, where you don't have that opportunity from the 
you know, this starts from location. You know, we'll literally walk a market, figure out this would be the best location for student housing. There's currently an industrial warehouse or there's a old car dealership. You know, this would be the best location for student housing. Let's find a way to tie it up. So you're really looking at off-market stuff. You're creating the deal in the location for yourself. You're designing the building for the student's needs versus taking what's already there, building it properly to, to make that vision come to life. And we think that is a unique ability and creates larger risk-adjusted returns for our investors you know, as well as a better living experience for our residents. Awesome. Anything else about student housing we haven't covered? I think one of the big things that breaking down student housing, you know, at its core is it's not so intricately different in terms of the construction of a multifamily building. You're still going to have, you know, your same mechanicals. You're still going to have a lot of finishes that are on par with multifamily. But for your listeners that haven't been in an institutional quality student housing space, you got to think about how you design the building. You know, we do all bed to bath parity, which means if you have four beds, you have four baths. So you share a living room. You, me, and Lolita were in a three bedroom. We each have our own bedroom, bathroom, and walk-in closet that's fully furnished. And then we would share a living room kitchen and washer and dryer. But all kids have to do is show up with a suitcase and some linens and they are good to go day one. It's a pretty unique experience and it's actually, you know, I think another thing is a misconception. It's more affordable for you to go get a higher quality of life and share, you know, a unit with two other people than go and try and get your own one bedroom or go try and get a two bedroom with with a friend. You know, you're actually paying in terms of price per bed you know, probably cheaper than it would be some of the other options in, in the multifamily space because we're designing for students uh, and we're keeping that in mind. Another thing with how we program a building is we do things called the Thought Center, where instead of a kid having to go at 1 a.m. and try and find a place to study in the library for finals and can't find anything, they can just go down the hall. And instead of a business center, we've built study rooms on each floor that are, you know, have thicker insulated walls to make sure that they have, you know, quiet when, when studying for finals. Uh, we focus a lot on wellness. So the gyms are a huge proponent on it where we have indoor outdoor gyms where they can lift the garage door and go out to this turf field and, and work out as well. And you know, the design is a lot different and, and it really is incredible what is created in today's space. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds like you guys do a great job. All right. Lolita is going to take us into our final four questions. Are you ready? Let's do it. This podcast is sponsored by Bullpen. Bullpen is an online marketplace where you can find and hire top-notch commercial real estate analysts on an hourly or part-time basis to support your deals. The analysts on Bullpen have various skill sets from office brokerage in Topeka to multifamily development in New York and everything in between. We use Bullpen as a second set of eyes on all of our underwriting. Find your next analyst using Bullpen at www.bullpenre.com. Use our promo code APT Capital when you sign up to receive a hundred dollar credit towards your first hire. All right, Zach, what is the one tool you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? My iPhone. I don't. I don't know what I do without it. Any any time the storage is full or, or I can't. <laughs> I could leave it somewhere. It's a, it's a huge issue, but uh, it's pretty incredible, especially I think we've all seen with quarantine, what technology can do in today's world. And I'm thankful for Steve Jobs. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing and what is the main takeaway for our listeners? Yeah, I think, you know, the classic paralysis by analysis type, you know, mentality is a, a huge mistake I made at the beginning. And, and even sometimes, you know, you still make, you know, eventually, 
No one knows every single step of the way how to do something perfectly. Even the related of the world, every deal is different. Every deal has its own little intricacies. And, and eventually you have to kind of, you know, grab your big boy pants and go. And, and if you don't, you're not going to do any deals. Listen, you got you to gotta do your proper research and your due diligence and, and know what you're doing. But not everything is going to be exactly how it was last time. So, you know, eventually I think you got to get over that. I, I'm, I don't know 100% of every little detail of what's happening on every little aspect, especially starting out. You got to eventually kind of dive in and feel confident that, you know, once you jump off the mountain, you find a way to fly. Great advice. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? You know, I would say one of the, the words that describes me is driven. I think just, you know, continuing to, to not get caught up in, in some of the things that you know, happen in the world or, or comparison to other people or, or firms or whatever that may be and very confident in what we're doing and can just continue to keep our head down and grind and keep the train rolling. Lastly, Zach, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, I think the easiest way is, as I mentioned, my iPhone. You can uh, text or call me at any time, 781-789-4354. Or you can always uh, email me, which is zf at aptitude.re.com. Short of that, uh, you guys will, will link it up in the show notes for me. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to be a resource, talk about our projects. Uh, if you're interested in getting involved on the investor or, or sourcing level, feel free to give us a shout. Happy to just have another conversation about student housing if you have more interest in that. That was great, Zach. Thanks for your time and expertise on today's show. We really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate group on Facebook so you can connect with Kyle and Lolita and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so that you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, head on over to aptcapitalgroup.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Kyle and Lolita, sign up on the Contact Us page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode.